You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. I, uh... I hope that uh, all you out there listening were able to uh, spend some time outdoors this weekend. Uh, for those whitetail hunters, obviously, uh, weather was not ideal, but uh, it's still early November. So get in the woods if you were able to. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, welcome back to the Michigan Wild Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. All right, today with me, I have fellow podcast host on the Sportsman's Empire, Josh Raley. Uh, Josh is the host of the Wisconsin Outdoorsman podcast, as well as the How to Hunt Deer podcast. Um, Josh and I cover quite a bit. I mean, we cover quite a bit, but we're also still just kind of BSing um, throughout the process, kind of talking tactics a little bit from uh, Josh's um, point of view. Uh, He's on a 14-day rutcation uh, in Wisconsin there, and he kind of talks about his approach, because um, currently he's he's not even he was in Wisconsin, relocated, uh, but still does all of his hunting in Wisconsin, um, and he talks about what it's like, um, kind of preparing for the season, um, you know, from an out of state standpoint, um, and this isn't just specific to uh, Josh's, Josh's situation. I think it's uh, it's very applicable across the board, uh, especially for anyone that that is heading out of state to hunt. Um, you know uh, what he had to do uh, when he realized things weren't going to be kind of as they were or as he thought they were going to be, and, and had to pivot. Um, we talk about um, a recent stretch on the How to Hunt Deer podcast, um, which is a great podcast for. Anyone just getting into deer hunting, um, or if, you know, maybe you did it when you were younger, um, and maybe just weren't super invested, you know, and when I say that, I mean, you know, you were just a a young kid maybe, or or early teen somewhere in there. And we're doing a lot of these things with, you know, uncles or brothers or, you know, whatever the case is. 
it, there's a lot of great insight going all the way back to um, the inception of the How to Hunt Deer podcast on just ways to really try to get you up to speed as quick as possible, uh, as best as possible through the course of a podcast. Um, Josh does a great job there with his different guests talking all sorts of different stuff. Um, yeah. And, and as I guess before I got off track there, uh, recently there, Josh is running, um, like a, a archery deer camp segment series, um, on the podcast, uh, just talking with people from around the country uh, as it pertains to the whitetail season um, and really everything that goes into it, uh, especially this time of year. So uh, great weekly listen there. Um, yeah, this was just a fun episode all the way around. Great guy and uh, offers some great insight too for for hunters who are you know hunting public land or who are hunting uh, out of state and, and maybe run into some issues that they weren't expecting. So episode 11 with Josh Raley. Enjoy, everybody. All right, Josh Raley, welcome to the Michigan Wild Podcast, man. How are you? Hey, Marcus, I'm doing pretty well, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm excited to get. Um, I mean, we'll we'll get into it here as we as we start to talk, but I'm excited to have someone on. Um, while this is the Michigan Wild Podcast, you're in Wisconsin. It feels close. I mean, you're a neighbor. Um, but we're going to talk whitetails. We're going to talk podcasts. Like, I'm excited to uh, to kind of dive into this. Yeah, dude, I, I've had a lot of people from Michigan on my show, so it feels only right. Yeah, to, well, uh, I jump think, on. yeah, and I think there's probably a lot of guys from Michigan. I mean, shoot, I could probably name a handful of guys that, you know, that I know that are heading to Wisconsin to deer hunt. Now, I don't know that people from Wisconsin are necessarily coming to Michigan, but it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, the, the deer hunting here can, can be really phenomenal. And I know there's parts of Michigan, especially southern Michigan, where mm-hmm. you can get really good hunting as well, but. Yeah, Wisconsin's tough to beat, especially the southern part of the state, central part of the state. Uh, big deer, good age structure. Um, yeah, pretty much everything you want without having to jump over to Iowa and try to, you know, spend five years getting a tag. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the nice things because I know that both Michigan and Wisconsin, it's pretty, I mean, especially for out of state, like it's easy to get a tag, right? Like it's not, you don't have to put in, you don't have to accrue points or, or put in for it or anything like that. It's usually pretty straightforward. Yeah, and Wisconsin has this deal where if you're buying a tag for the first time in Wisconsin, you can actually get a really reduced tag. I think it's like ten or fifteen dollars for your first year. That's cheaper than what I pay for an in-state in-state tag here in Michigan. Like way cheaper. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice deal over here. Yeah, it's uh it's amazing what the prices the price of like uh, deer tags has has how how it has jumped. Um, just kind of like in my time of, of really hunting. Like I remember before, like I could get a combo tag, which for, you know, Michigan residents know that, but it's, um, you can shoot two bucks with it. The second one hat, the first one can be, you know, unless there's like an APR where you're hunting, first one can be whatever buck you want. Second one has to have at least four points on one side. Um, however, if it's during archery season, you can take a doe with that second tag. Now you can't do that during rifle, but with archery, you can take, um, uh, a doe with that second combo tag. And when I first started, that was like 25 bucks. I think out the door this year, I was like 65 maybe before my doe tags. Cause now we got to buy a base license regardless, which you didn't have to do in the past. So yeah, prices are getting up there, man. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, any price increase I see here in Wisconsin, I, um, you know, on these wildlife areas, man, I can see our dollars at work. Well, that's a good thing though, right? Like, and, and I have, I have no problem 
paying a little bit extra money, especially if it means that the herd, the the habitat, the population, like all that, like if all that is going to benefit from it, I mean, that's, yeah. that's money well spent. Yep. For sure. For sure. I, I don't like spending a lot of money in some of my Southern States where I hunt because uh, I don't necessarily see the dollars at work there. Yeah. But, but yeah, man, jack it up here in Wisconsin. I'll be happy to pay it. Yeah. So Josh, real quick, before we kind of dive into things, man, tell people a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I grew up in deep South Alabama. I didn't start hunting until I was 14 years old. Um, my dad, who is from Michigan, actually got me into hunting when I was 14. So we, we started going out and we hunted the deep South Alabama woods, kind of like you would uh, hunting in the UP of Michigan, because that's what he knew. That's what he was used to. And uh, we struggled uh, our first season out. We didn't didn't get on any deer. I saw one deer, I think, that season. Oh. <laughs> it ran past me at the speed of light being chased by uh, some dogs from a dog hunter. And uh, But, man, I was hooked. And then my second season, I think we saw three deer all year. I saw two deer on during the youth hunt, which was our first time out. Then we hunted hard all year long, and I saw a buck on the very last day of the uh, very last day of the season, and took that buck and and do through all the adversity and through uh, all of the hard work and the grind, and then finally tagging out on that first day. I think it was kind of custom fit to to really sink its teeth into me, um, and from that day forward, I was just hooked on hunting. I kind of dropped all my other hobbies, you know, fishing and all that kind of stuff, and and really honed in on whitetails for the last gosh, I guess that was 22 years ago now. And, uh, yeah, it's, I've gotten in deep, man. It's dude, it's super easy to, to let hunting get its hooks deep into you. I know that, I mean, it, <clears throat> I started a little bit younger, just hunting in general. Um, but it, it doesn't take much, man. And I, my story is kind of a lot like yours where, you know, early on, I just didn't have a lot of success. Like growing up in Michigan, like I always, you know, I didn't have a ton of time to do it with like sports and stuff like that. So, you know, when I was hunting, it was like Saturday mornings, maybe a Sunday morning uh, or a Saturday evening on the weekends. Like I wasn't able to do it, you know, during the week with my dad. And a lot of times he would just, him and my uncle would, you know, go out scouting and stuff like that. And they'd have a bunch of these spots picked out on public land. And, you know, a lot of times what they would do is like, just build a little ground blind, you know, just out of whatever was around. They'd walk me in that morning and be like, okay, here you go. And this is all, you know, rifle hunting. This isn't even, you know, archery. I didn't start archery hunting until I was in my 20s. And I never had a ton of success. I always got the, oh, this is a great spot. We've got, we've seen deer back here. And then I'd sit there and I wouldn't see shit, right? Like, and whether it was because, you know, I didn't understand scent control at that age. The wind was bad. Like, they just put me there because they needed a spot for me, whatever the case was. But, yeah, all it takes is, like, seeing a deer, at that age, man. And it just is like, this is awesome. This is the best oh, yeah. thing ever. Yep. That's right. That's right. So aside from, from hunting, you also host a couple podcasts here on the sportsman's empire network. Yeah, I do. So I, I host the Wisconsin sportsman podcast and also the how to hunt deer podcast. So uh, I started the Wisconsin sportsman year and a half or so ago. And, um, you know, I knew there was an audience for, for here in Wisconsin and I knew the empire wanted to expand its um, lineup of state specific podcasts. And I was really new to the state at that point, had just moved to Wisconsin. So I, I hit up Dan. I was like, Hey, I think I can do it. And he ran me through a little trial run and, and, uh, yeah, that worked out. And so then a couple months later, he, uh, he was running the how to hunt deer podcast and he called me and said, Hey, 
I can't do it anymore. I just don't have the time. Would you, would you be able to take this podcast over? So I, I did that, kind of jumped into the podcast world with both feet. And uh, now this is what I'm doing uh, kind of full time, man, um, running podcasts and also doing a little bit of work with the network, uh, doing uploads and managing social media and um, yeah, just trying to keep up. Yeah, it, the podcasting world is is an interesting one because, you know, I have two podcasts on the network as well. I have this, the, the Michigan Wild and the Average Conservationist. And the Average Conservationist I've been doing for, shoot, over two years now. And it was one of those things where I was a guest on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast with Dan and <clears throat> because of, of the company. And he kind of, you know, propositioned me, said, hey, you know, what do you think about having, you know, a podcast kind of, centered around conservation to a degree. And I was like, I don't know, like, I'll think about it. Because when I started my brand, like, I remember telling like friends and family, I'm like, I'll tell you what, one of the things I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be that guy that starts a podcast. Like, there's so many out there, this and that. And then I think it was probably like six months later, I was like, by the way, I'm starting a podcast because <laughs> I mean, Dan, he's, he, he's just one of those guys you want to be around. Right. And, and he he's, he's very passionate about you know, bow hunting deer specifically, but you know, what he has built with the sportsman's empire, uh, is incredible. And you know, the more I kind of took a, a deep dive into that, the more I realized like, yeah, I think this is something I want to be a part of. And it's been, uh, an absolutely great decision because, and you know, this, you know, better than anyone is just the cool people that you get to talk to throughout the course of, you know, hundreds of episodes that we do. Yeah, man, it, it's been a wild journey. And you know, the, the reward of doing podcasts does come from, you, you know, I mean, the sponsorships are cool and, and getting hooked up with different brands is cool. But man, the win is is getting to talk to all the different people with all the different perspectives to hear other people's success, to get to work with guys like Dan and yourself. And uh, we have a really good crew here at the at the network. And so um, and then, I, you know, I think to a huge benefit, you know, guys out there thinking about starting podcasts like starting a podcast from scratch on your own is tough being part of a network makes it makes it just way different and way better in my opinion no i completely agree and especially you know us having the fortunate circumstances of joining something like sportsman's empire which was established right i mean dan did right. uh, a great job of kind of building that from the ground up and touching on one of the things that you just mentioned the the group you know the group of guys and gals that are part of sportsman's empire like they're just average people that are just passionate about what, you know, you know, about hunting or fishing or whatever, you know, the podcast may be related to. And they're just, everyone's just super relatable. And I think that's what listeners want to hear. Like they want to hear people, you know, like themselves, like their buddies, right. They just love to hunt, love to fish, whatever the case is. And like, that's, I think that's why people really like the sportsman's empire. Like it's not big names. It's not people you feel like, Oh, you know, I couldn't have a beer with this guy because he's, you know, this or he's that, like all of us, like, it's like, Hey, what's going on, man? Like, it's just, it just feels like a bunch of buddies, a bunch of high school buddies. Yeah, man. And, and to be honest with you, you know, from all of this and from the work that I've been doing, getting connected with the other hosts on the network, I mean, they've become my hunting buddies. Like they're the guys that I'm texting. Like when I shoot one uh, or shot at one the other afternoon, like it's guys from the network that are kind of at the top of my list you know, as far as folks that I'm texting, like, Hey, I just did this. What do you think? Kind of thing. And, uh, even though we don't live in the same States we're uh, you know, it, these guys have become my hunting, my hunting buddies. And so it's, it's a good, a really good group of guys. 
Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, <clears throat> excuse me, speaking of, of hunting buddies and especially as it pertains to the network, you've been doing something pretty cool with the How to Hunt Deer podcast. You've kind of been doing like this round table for the last, shoot, probably since beginning of October, I think it was. Yeah, so we, we started in October. I kind of had the idea of, of, you know, a lot of things that I think guys are missing out on, especially in the bow hunting world, is that deer camp feel. Yeah. And because bow hunting has taken on such a, we've we've made it such a serious thing right and solo thing and it's all this pursuit about you and the deer and and man that's good i love diving into that but i think what has been missing from that is the camaraderie that comes along with with the deer camp atmosphere so i thought well let's get everybody on in one place where we can kind of share and swap stories and really have that deer camp feel even though we're not necessarily all able to sit around a campfire or sit around a kitchen table and share those stories. So we get together once a week uh, on Thursday evenings and talk and launch those episodes on Monday where we're kind of updating you on what we've seen, what we're trying. And then we just kind of chat about, you know, whatever comes to mind. I mean, we may talk about scent control and then we may talk about, you know, balancing life and the outdoors uh, and, and trying to get all your family stuff done. And then we may just, you know, commiserate with each other about not seeing anything <laughs> or celebrate that somebody got one. So yeah, just, just kind of like what you do at deer camp. Yeah. And you bring up a good point there. And I, I, uh, talked about this with a guest a few weeks back is the archery season deer camp is, I don't even know if it's like a, a forgotten thing. Like it's almost like it's an, a never was thing, right? Because, you know, growing up in a state like Michigan, where, you know, the hunting, tradition is is super rich like it's very you know michigan is very steeped in tradition when it comes to hunting and you know deer camp being kind of that central that central point of it it's always been during rifle season like it's always right. one of those things dad and uncle and grandpa like it's almost yeah i've, I've said this numerous times but it's like this rite of passage for a youngster right like okay you know josh can finally come to deer camp this year right like he's old enough where you know the jokes aren't necessarily going to fly over his head you don't feel quite so bad you know maybe cussing in front of him or telling some jokes <clears throat> excuse me or something like that and it um it's never really talked about during bow season and it's a shame because it's still hunting it's just a different style of hunting and i think when it comes to to bow season like there's there's a lot more action you're hunting you know much more of like the prime rut uh pre-rut all that stuff so i think it's a it's a great time for guys to get together um, and, and really kind of share those stories and, and create that atmosphere. It really is. And there, there's been such an intensity around bow hunting. And I, and I think that that's why it never quite created um, the deer camp atmosphere that, you know, rifle seasons or general firearm seasons uh, have created because we, we, everything is so serious. Scent control is so serious. Our gear is so serious. You know, we're, we're getting up earlier. We're staying out later. We're, uh, you know, taking it so much more seriously than, you know, kind of the old deer camp vibe, getting together, drink, playing cards, drinking a few beers and maybe getting out late in the morning. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a whole different thing. So I'm glad that, that I can see some of that beginning to develop, especially in the outdoor industry space of guys saying, Hey, let's get back to what made deer hunting great. And that wasn't always killing big deer. A lot of that was just the people that you get to see and be around. Yeah, that camaraderie. I mean, that's like, that's kind of one of the first things I think about when I think about hunting, right? Is like just being, you know, like, just like you, like growing up with your dad, 
right? Like spending time in the woods, the, the truck ride in the morning to, you know, to your spot or, you know, talking about the morning hunt or the evening hunt on your way home. Like, man, like there's, there's certain things that kind of pop up in life that really take you back to like certain moments when you were a kid, like riding in my dad's like old Chevy, you like didn't have a backseat. Like, uh, I don't even know what the name for the, the type of truck that would be anymore. Cause everything has a, a backseat or four doors, but like, you know, just riding shotgun as a little kid, you know, you know, barely being able to see over the dash, you know, just talking about, well, what'd you see, you know, like, you know, just all these different things. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, it's a lot of missed opportunities for guys, especially as they get into bow hunting. Yeah, man. You know, you, you sharing that story. I'm, I'm right back in the same, uh, in the same, um, you know, kind of memory. You know, I remember driving out to deer hunt with my dad and we've got this, there's an old white Chevy custom deluxe and, uh, no backseat and we're riding and it's cold and, uh, he's got, it's missing one of the little triangle mirrors, you know, you used to be able to turn to get airflow. Yep. Yep. You know, he's, got a, he's got a sweater of his like stuffed up into the hole to try to keep it warm <laughs> so that we could stay warm on the ride. And, uh, yeah, man. So you talk about that and I'm, I'm right back there in the moment as a 14 year old kid or 13 year old kid and, uh, getting to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and you know, you, you also mentioned something earlier that yeah, bow hunting has become super serious and i don't know if it's just like with social media and the the spotlight that it's put on bow hunting um you know people see a lot of you know i i hate to say like influencers because that's not necessarily the right word because i think there's a lot of really great deer hunters that just like to share their story and you know people see you know guys that are out there you know killing big bucks every year and, and having a lot of success and they're seeing it done with a bow so people are like oh bow hunting like yeah, I want to give that a try. It seems like just bow hunting in general, the last 10 years has become kind of the it thing in the outdoor industry. Yeah. And, and I think there are good parts to that and bad parts. I mean, you know, especially uh, the bad parts of it, you know, disparaging firearms hunters or disparaging crossbow hunters or, or whatever. Um, but I, I think there are also good parts too, expanding opportunity and, and just giving more chances to be out in the woods and and a whole new look on deer season that you don't get if you don't start hunting until the weekend before, um, you know, before Thanksgiving, which would be like a traditional, uh, firearms opener. So, uh, yeah, good and bad all around, but, but yeah, it definitely has taken over the focus. And I think driven by, uh, a lot of folks who hunt a, a very different, um, reality than many of us in the rest of the country do. I mean, we, we look at hunting media and it's dominated by those folks with prime properties either in Iowa or Texas or even some in the deep South who just have these really well manicured, large private farms. And, uh, you know, their hunting is, we like to watch it on TV, but in reality, it's totally unrelatable to us. Oh no, you're, you're absolutely right. Because yeah, many of us are either hunting small parcels of private land, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 acres, or we're hunting public. And, you know, anyone who's hunted public knows what a grind that can be. And I mean, the, the, the people that you were just kind of referencing, like this is their job, right? Like this is what they do. And, you know, for guys like you and I, like we have jobs, you know, we have, we have things that we have other, you know, families and not to say these other gentlemen, females don't have families, but like they've like, that's, that's where they make their money. That's their bread and butter. So they can, you know, they're afforded that time 
Uh, and though, and those with that time comes more opportunities. And with guys like us, like it's, you know, it's just the name of the game. You got a family life. You got to, you know, bide your time. You got to do dad responsibilities, husband responsibilities, all these things. And, you know, like we were talking about this before we started recording, you know, like last year I spent a ton of time in the woods and this year because of circumstances and, you know, schedules and things like that. I've been in the woods three times this year, three times, the October 3rd, uh, October 2nd, second day, uh, we opened on the first. So second day of the year of the season, uh, about a week later, and then one other time and that's it. And they are all evening sits. I have I've not had, usually I don't sit the morning early in the season. Um, but no, no other chances. And this weekend when we're recording right now is my favorite weekend of the year to be in the woods and my wife's out of town for the weekend. So I'm on dad duty and yeah, it's just, it's just not in the cars for me right now. Yeah. And, and you know, man, sometimes it, we just have to, as outdoorsmen, keep our priorities straight with a good attitude, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to that. And I've, I've struggled there, especially with the good attitude part. Like I'm always going to do what's best for my family, but man, if I wasn't able to be in the woods this weekend, I'd, I'd be having a, a rough go of it. So kudos to you. Uh, <laughs> well, luckily, one of the things that is kind of keeping me positive, as you just mentioned, is I'll definitely be in the woods all weekend next weekend. And those are the first. So our uh, firearm season opens on November 15th, which is a Tuesday this year, which also makes it tough um, to, to get out on opening day and really kind of participate in that deer camp vibe. But usually those last couple days before, um, firearm season opens, a lot of guys are probably like traveling to deer camp and stuff like that. So there's not as many guys in the woods. Um, so I'm hoping that that kind of plays to my advantage. Um, and you know, we're looking at the 12th, 13th of November, like this should be, you know, prime rutting, although, you know, case could be made that, prime running right now, um, depending upon where you're at. So I, I like my odds. Um, I mean, it's supposed to be 70 degrees here today in Michigan. So I know some guys don't really care. Um, we've had a few warm spells during this time of the year, uh, in recent memory and the activity during daylight hours just has not been real high. Like it normally would be if you were getting that, you know, high in the forties, something like that, you know, down into the twenties or, or low thirties in the morning or at night. And you get those deer on their feet. I mean, I think when I got out of bed this morning, it was like 55 degrees, you know, and it was, you know, 630 in the morning or something like that. So we're just having unseasonably warm weather. Um, And next weekend, it's, you know, it's supposed to be kind of back to normal uh, as it pertains to that. So I'm hoping that that kind of plays um, in my favor as well. All in all, all I'm trying to do is think of all the reasons why it's okay. I'm not in the woods this weekend. (laughs) Hey, you know what, man, with the, with the high temps that we've had here lately, you know, I don't think you've missed out on a ton. And so we're getting a front blowing through right now here in Wisconsin. So it's, it's on its way. Yeah. Uh, so the weather should be breaking for you soon. Yeah, no, I think looking at, uh, at Deercast, which is one of the ones that I use a lot, um, just to kind of see what the weather's like, see what it's predicting, so to speak. And yeah, to Monday, Tuesday, it's supposed to be like, great, great all day. For, for those two days, but it'll still be there this weekend. The deer are still going to be out there. They're still going to be doing deer things. So I just got to take advantage of the time I do get. That's right, man. So tell me, Josh, how has your season been going? You kind of alluded to one that you shot at the other day, but what uh, what's the season looked like for you so far? Yeah, so this has been a really strange season. 
uh, it's my first year um, of kind of pulling away from what was my regular nine to five and beginning some work with the network. Um, and we also had a, a big move. So we, my family recently moved to Georgia. Now my hunting and all still takes place in Wisconsin. Um, so that means a lot more travel on my part. Um, but it has also meant sort of biding my time and waiting for the right moment. So I have not hunted, uh, very much this year. I hunted, uh, the end of September and early October here in Wisconsin in the first day or two of Wisconsin and, um, had some good opportunities, but also had a lot of work that I needed to do, uh, as far as getting trail cameras set up in the right locations, uh, to set me up for success during the rut. Uh, and so I, I had some good encounters with some good bucks and, uh, but unfortunately I, I bumped both the bucks that I had encounters with back in uh, September and October. Um, but for, uh, this two weeks, so I took October 31st through November 14th and uh, I'm here in Wisconsin for these full two weeks. And so my only responsibility is to keep up with my podcasts and to hunt. And so, uh, I got out to this public space or public spot. That's one of my favorites. And I've got these uh, areas that for the last couple of seasons have kind of been really left alone. And I kind of had them to myself and saw really good deer activity, especially during the rut. And I get here this year and um, the spots have been just overrun by other hunters. They have been totally blown out. And my, my trail cameras were, were getting good in that last week of October. And then right about the time I was about to get on the ground, they all went dead. And I wondered, why is that happening? What's going on? And I get here, and after talking to some guys and sort of uh, putting the pieces together when I'm stopping in parking lots and looking at where guys are parking, I realized these spots are getting hammered really hard. So I had to step back and regroup and say, okay, the spots that I've known in the past that I really enjoy hunting are, are, are marked off. So I've got to uh, pull out on X and, and look at everything from a new perspective and approach this like a brand new property this year. So uh, day two, I was already making that pivot and beginning to realize that things were not as uh, I thought they were going to be. Uh, then that afternoon, I went in, hunted a, a brand new spot. The sign and the terrain and the vegetation features all told me that this was the spot to be, but I, I only saw a couple of does that evening. And then that next day, I decided this spot checks all the boxes, so I need to get in there and I'm going to sit all day. So I sat from an hour before dark or an hour before daylight until, and I was going to sit until dark. And, um, you know, the evening before I'd heard deer to my east and to my west get up out of bedding and head across the creek to some, um, to some ag fields where, uh, where they were feeding. That next morning when I was in there, I heard the deer do the exact opposite. And so that really built my confidence because I knew I was between two doe bedding areas that I had deer bedded to my west and to my east. And so I really didn't want to leave you know, cause I wanted to do the all day sit, but I also knew that I had deer bedded close by. So I knew my opportunities for catching a cruising buck through this little pinch were really, really good. And, uh, about 45 minutes, 30 minutes, something like that before the end of legal light, I hear something, I look up and it's just an absolute tank of an eight point. Uh, he comes in, he works some scrapes, picture perfect. I get the camera on him. And instead of taking the trail that was at 30 yards, he quarters hard to me and comes in at 15 yards, got the camera on him. I draw back. I've calmed myself down because I've been watching this buck for, you know, several minutes at this point. Yeah. And, uh, I let the arrow fly and I skimmed the very top of his back. Uh, 
just a little bit of fat and a little bit of hair on my arrow, not even any blood. Um, I had un unfortunately set my single pin to 30, thinking that that trail was what I needed to shoot. And he came in at 15 and I did not move my pin. Uh. So yeah, just a, a mental oversight. It's my first year using a single pin that, that has some movement to it. And so, uh, you know, just one of those things where I realized, hey, I wasn't, I wasn't totally dialed in with, with that part of my gear, you know, this year. This is my first time using it. I hadn't put myself in, real, in enough real-world scenarios where I was able to make that shot. So, um, but, yeah, I'm heading right back into that spot. I've let it rest for a couple of days now. And uh, I'm heading right back in as soon as we get off of here today. And I have real high hopes. I, got, um, I was kind of in on the other side yesterday and – uh, got confirmation that a good buck was, was in the area, not the eight point that I, that I skimmed, but uh, another deer that's even bigger. And so I'm heading back in there today and I've got really high hopes, really high confidence that I'm going to have an encounter with a deer and you better believe I'm not going to make that same mistake with my side again. Yeah, there you go. I like the attitude. So a couple questions based off of, off of that one is, so when, you know, early on, you know, like when you, when you showed back up there, how are you approaching that? Like, I know you said you, like, when you get back up, when you get back there, you realize that the spots that you had been scouting were just blown out at that point. Like, how, is it super discouraging for you? Or going into it, do you say to yourself, okay, this could be a potential um, situation where this spot does get blown out. I've got to be prepared to, you know, look at some backups. Do you, do you already have like those backups kind of planned or like some areas that you say, okay, if this isn't going to work, like I want to, you know, do some e-scouting here. If I get a chance, maybe get some boots on the ground for a couple hours and just, you know, see the lay of the land, see if there's any fresh sign in there. Like how, how are you approaching that? Yeah. So my, I knew it was a possibility kind of in the back of my mind. I, I couldn't fathom that people would be in there though, just because I've had it to myself for the last couple of years. Um, I pretty quickly felt really discouraged and kind of had that panic moment of, wow, I've invested all this time and all this energy right? and I'm here and it's not panning out like it's supposed to. But I've been talking a lot on my podcasts recently about dealing with adversity and, and keeping the right mindset and, and being able to kind of just roll with the punches and deal with what public land and deer and the people deal with what all that gives you. And, um, so I pretty quickly was able to pull myself out of that and say, okay, pull out the maps. Let's start looking. Let's, uh, you know, what are the things you've got to have this time of year? You've got to put multiple pieces together. I need uh, doe bedding opportunities nearby. And because I'm heading into new spots, I'm not going to necessarily try to find actual doe beds. I'm just looking for real thick stuff away from the human, human pressure. I need spots that are beyond kind of what I'm beginning to refer to as kind of like that, that pressure threshold. So I'm noticing the deer will begin to skirt people, but they're not skirting them by very far. You know, they're, they're avoiding where folks are hunting, but they may be 150, 200 yards, you know, past that. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not just gone forever. They're just past where that pressure is. Uh, number three, I needed to have some terrain features or some vegetation edges or something that was pointing to these areas, you know, as, as good spots where bucks would likely travel. And then I needed all that to be confirmed with sign. And, um, you know, for, for what I'm looking for is, is you know, kind of a, a hub, what I would consider a hub scrape, you know, something with multiple licking branches, something that I can tell is large and dug out and being uh, hit by several different bucks. And uh, so when I went in the other day, based off the map scouting, 
I put some boots on the ground. I was going in for an afternoon hunt, got all my gear on my back and, uh, you know, found what I was looking for. All the pieces came together and, and that's when I decided to climb a tree. And, uh, you know, I knew that, I knew that this spot checked all the boxes and I knew it just needed a little bit of time. So that's why I went back in there a second day. And that's when I got the, the real confirmation that I needed and kind of how I'm approaching this whole thing is I'm kind of tightening the noose. So after I missed that buck, I just went into the opposite end of this block of timber where I suspected most of the deer activity is happening, came in from the opposite direction. I realized, okay, there's not a ton of deer sign here moved in a little bit deeper. Okay. There's a little better deer sign Begin to move in a little bit deeper. Okay. Now there's a lot of deer sign and it's all pointing back to that other spot where I was the other night. So just kind of tightening that noose of, okay, really zeroing in on where the deer are concentrated based on, you know, pressure, whether that's bow hunting pressure, pheasant pressure, duck hunting pressure, hiking pressure, all of that is out there on this public spot. And, um, you know, so within a very short period of time, you know, just a couple of days, I've been able to really hone in on what I think is going to be uh, the spot or at least the general area where I have uh, another good opportunity here in the next couple of days. Yeah, well, that's that's a great approach to take, too, because I think a lot of guys, <clears throat> one, if they were faced with the same situation you were when you showed up there um, of, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? Like my spot's blown out panic right and not be able to pull themselves out of it so kudos to you for being able to you know right the ship when it comes to that but then another thing is that i don't i think people see that kind of like you just described that first wave of sign and go okay this is where i want to be instead of you know pushing a little bit further because at worst case you push in a little bit further you don't sign doesn't get any better you can say okay you know where i first encountered this sign this is probably where i need to be they don't push that any further and then maybe they're not getting you know the the same opportunities or the same encounters if they don't you know push back another 100 yards another 150 yards and say like okay this is really where they're at right like out here this is all kind of peripheral stuff but in here like this is the main hub this is where they're you know using um this is where they're they're cruising whatever and that's when like you said i mean you, you really get those opportunities and you know you sat in there in an afternoon the first sit so you don't know what it's like in the morning because I mean, obviously we all know that you know deer are creatures of habit to you know to to some degree so you know what you saw in the evening may not be what they're doing in the morning so to get in there for that full day sit i think was absolutely the right call oh yeah for sure and and i learned a ton uh not only did i confirm my suspicion from the evening before about where deer were bedding and where they were moving to um, but you know, again, I was able to, to get on that buck and, and kind of, um, feel like I have a really good piece, uh, or a really good, uh, understanding of what the puzzle looks like from a big picture perspective. So it's given me a lot of confidence to go throw some more all day sits at it. That's for sure. Yeah. And especially, you know, the encounter that you did have, the arrow that you did let loose. I mean, that deer probably has no idea what even happened, right? Like if you just took a little, if you just gave it a little haircut off top, like it's, it's probably just like, what was that? Right. And you know, it'll, it won't really affect its, its behavior, especially this time of year. Yeah. And, and you can get away with so much this time of year. Oh, as yeah. far, you know, I walked through yesterday and blew up what, um, it's kind of a minor bedding spot this time of year, you know, early in the year, it, it's really good bedding, but it get it starts to get pressured pretty hard. And I just blew through the whole thing yesterday. <laughs> uh, just, just absolutely blew out whatever was in there. And, but again, it's that, you know, I was sitting in a spot yesterday morning where there were five or six scrapes in the area. 
uh, that were out in front of me. I could see them. They were about 40 yards, and um, but they weren't the kind of scrapes that I'm looking for this time of year. They weren't aggressive scrapes. They weren't pawed out. It didn't look like multiple deer were visiting on multiple occasions. And, uh, you know, that's just not what I'm looking for. Right now, it's easy to find a scrape in the woods. Oh, yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to find the right scrape. And, and I, I have a lot of confidence in scrapes hunting here in the Midwest, a lot more than I do hunting them down in the South. And a lot of it is because I think, you know, you just have a lot more daylight activity on those scrapes. But it's got to be the right ones. You know, it's, it's got to be the right kind of scrape. Yeah, the the aggressive scrape like you just described, that's a that's a really good point because some people I do think, um, you know, and I'm certainly guilty of this in the past too, like getting hung up on like, well, there's scrapes here, there's deer activity, but you know, it's a you know, it's a scrape that's maybe, you know, a foot in diameter, right? Like it's not real big, doesn't look like it's been touched in maybe a day or so. Oh, you know, while it looks fresh, if you get close, like you do some investigating, you're like, Yeah, this hasn't been hit in at least the last twenty four hours, like probably not the area you want to be right. Like find, find that deep one, find that one that looks like multiple deer have been hitting regularly. And then that's where you really want to make your game plan. Right. Right. One of the other questions I had, how do you like the single pin? Because I flirted with the idea of going to a single pin, but kind of like what just happened to you, like that's my biggest fear in the woods is not being able to readjust or, you know, let's say you set it to kind of, you know, depending on the area you're hunting, you set it to a generic, 20 or 30 yards and then you don't compensate enough if the deer is not exactly at that you know particular yardage yeah i i really like it so far so um it's cleaned up my sight picture quite a bit and it has made shooting just a better experience in general even when that deer came in and i i was looking at him through the site it's um you know it, it was a much better experience and i didn't have multiple pins out there floating in front of my face and this is actually uh, an adjustable red dot site. So there's not even a, a real pin there. It's just a, it's just a dot okay. uh, made in Michigan. Um, so really, really nice, uh, really nice site system. Um, I have concluded that rather than trying to dial into where I think the deer are going to come from, I need to just leave it at a, at a set 20 yards all the time. And you've got to figure, you know, if you take a, th a shot at 30 yards and you don't compensate quite enough, that deer is going to be dropping anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, you start to take some of those further shots. You've got to start to think about how far is that deer going to drop. And so I think you're better off just setting it at 20, leaving it at 20. And if you forget, uh, you know, set at 20 yards, you're probably still going to be okay. Whereas if you try to set it into 30 and a deer comes into 15, you're probably not going to be okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of that, you know, the, the, the compensation standpoint, like that just comes from practice, right? Like, yep. cause you know, when you're in the backyard shooting or you're at the range shooting, like you're going to do that ex same scenario, right? You're going to hold it at 20 and you're going to step out to 30. You're going to, you know, step into, you know, 15 or 25 and say like, okay, where do I need to hold it? And then, yeah, trying to factor in, you know, the deer dropping, because that's how I missed, um, a, a real, a real nice 10.2 years ago is he just jumped my string and just right over his back. And I was using, you know, I have a, a my, uh, I have a five pin fixed, but I mean, it, it wasn't really the same scenario in terms of, you know, not holding right. He just, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect him to, to drop the way he did, um, it, at the time in hindsight, you know, I should have been thinking like, oh yeah, this, the whole situation was tailor made for him to jump my string. He was on super high alert. He had just chased a bobcat out of this field that I was hunting 
and blew the, this Bobcat blew this field up. And I was, I watched this whole thing kind of unfold. I was sitting, it was October 3rd of that year. This, uh, I was sitting this, um, it was an evening sit. I was sitting on this big food plot and about 55 yards out in front of me is this little Island in, in the middle of this food plot, probably 12, 15 feet in diameter. And, you know, like any early season, a bunch of does and, and yearlings had started coming out and feeding, you know, pretty early in the evening. And they were just on the backside of this island. And these two yearlings kind of got separated. Um, and by separated, I mean, they were, you know, 15, 20 yards from, from the doe. And this little bobcat snuck out from the, uh, the screen that we have around the food plot and got on my side of the island and was just crouched super low waiting for these yearlings to to get separated and make his move and you know at the same time like this this big 10 point was out in this field he was probably at 95 yards away i you know i'd been watching for 10 or 15 minutes at this point just grazing and he had started to work and he was probably at about 65 when the bobcat made its move and all hell broke loose which i mean it sucked, but at the same time, like it was super cool to see just mother nature doing her thing. Right. Sure. sure. And this buck chases this bobcat kind of out of the field. And next thing I know now he's at like 40, but he is kind of way off to my left at a really, really like, I, I don't have a shot at it. And he just starts working right in front of me. And he got to like 35 where he had stopped moving right at the edge of the field and he looked like he was going to take a step. And I'm at full draw at this point. I think he was at like 32 yards. And I, you know, I, I stop him. I get him to, you know, I make a little, you know, a little doe bleed or whatever with my mouth. And as soon as he stopped, I mean, I was settled and I hit, you know, I, I hit the trigger on the, on the release and it was so dead quiet. That deer was so amped up that as soon as he heard any noise, he dropped his back and that thing went right over it, right over, mm-hmm. right over him. And, uh, a neighbor, a neighbor ended up shooting him during a uh, firearm season later that year. Gosh, that's a, that's a heartbreaker, man. I, I heard uh, Bill Winky a long time ago talk about for, you know, Bill Winky's a tall dude. He's got a really long draw length. So he's pushing a lot of energy, has a pretty good trajectory on his arrows. But he was talking about when he's shooting at deer, you know, at further distances, say 40 yards, he will put his 20 yard pin on the deer. And that's what he's using to aim to compensate for, um, for the drop for the drop, because he, you know, in his, in his estimation, if he's holding, you know, mid body or whatever, and the deer doesn't drop, then he's going to catch the heart. And if he, if the deer does drop, well, he's, you know, going to center punch the lungs and be okay. Yeah. That's a really good point. And, and that was the first, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, that was the first experience I had where a deer had jumped my string. All the other deer I had had taken with my bow had not done it. So it just, it threw me for a loop when that happened. And I've seen it happen to a bunch of guys before. I mean, it, it's, it's a super common thing in the archery world, right? And I just, I wasn't prepared for it, but it was, uh, it was still a super cool story, even though, you know, I was a clean miss on this deer, right? Yeah. Better a clean miss than wound to get though. I mean, you know, in my mind, I grazed that buck the other night and that's the best outcome. I mean, I could have. I could have really caught his uh, caught his back straps real good, and had a lot of muscle blood to follow and all of that, and that would have created a really bad night for me, and it would have been uh, harder on the deer, and it would have uh, really blown that spot out. I think a lot worse 
than like I did and just zipping across the top. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that, <clears throat> that, you know, no man's land as they call it. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough place to miss a deer because oh, yeah. yeah, a lot of times there's not going to be a lot of blood, if any, um, you're going to have blood on your arrow if you get some type of pass through at that height, or, you know, it's just going to stick in and break off or whatever. And then you're left trying to track it or do that. And like you said, just blow out the spot and then you're back to the drawing board because no deer, he's not coming back. The spot's blown out. And then you're like, well, all that for nothing. Yeah. And, and those, those shots will give you enough that you feel like you really need to follow up, mm -hmm. but never enough to find the deer. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and that's like the worst of the worst of both worlds kind of scenario. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. So what are your, I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts over, so shoot, you probably still have another five or six days there in Wisconsin. So I've got another nine days. Oh shoot. So you still got a lot of time to get it done. Are you taking it right up until firearm season or real close to it? Um, uh, I don't know when the firearm season opens this year. I'm, I think it's, it's going to be the following weekend after I leave. So I don't know the okay. exact date, but um, so I'm going to be hunting up until basically the Monday before firearm season opens. Okay. Yeah. And that opens on a set Saturday after Thanksgiving, right? Every year. Uh, I think it's Saturday before. Oh, before. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. Saturday. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I've, I, we, we've talked about this, you know, already, but the, the season has just been a weird one for me. Um, you know, in my three sits that I've had, I've encountered more bucks than I have does. And, I think that's just the first, the first time my first sit this year, um, I saw four bucks in one doe and three of them were still like bachelor grouped up, which you tend to see sometimes. I mean, I had three, three deer, three bucks that never kind of came into, I mean, they were at probably 40 yards, but never in the right window. And I was downwind of them obviously, and something spooked them and they hightailed it out of there. And I would say, probably two of the three were probably nice three-year-old Michigan bucks that one, I probably would have let an arrow loose at, uh, especially now having seen some trail camera pictures, um, from that night. And it, it was encouraging, but also discouraging at the same time, because I don't know what caused them to, to freak out, especially because they ran back upwind. Um, so not like they would have smelled me, you know, and I came full draw on that third time I sat this year, I came full draw on a deer. Um, it was shoot two weeks ago, maybe it was just a Tuesday night. I, uh, weather looked really good. We had kind of this big cold front that had moved in and there was a spot that I've had a lot of success in, in the past and it's real tight to doe bedding, um, kind of just off of a, of a food plot. And I know deer, uh, especially bucks will just kind of cruise this, this little corner, um, of this field and just, especially with the wind in my face, they'll just kind of scent check that whole field. Um, so they'll use this little, this little corner where I sit and sure enough, it was, uh, he was a 10 point frame, but he was broken off from his G two forward on his right side, which oh. I didn't really get a good look at until I was at full draw. And then I ended up letting down because I just didn't want to shoot a broken deer. Basically. Yeah. Like I was, I was being kind of that guy, but at the same time, you know, I didn't regret it. Right. I, I knew I made the right decision because it would have been a great deer, but it just wasn't the one I wanted to shoot at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. Do you have some good ones that you're chasing still? Yeah, we've got, um, so we kind of resorted to the process, <clears throat> excuse me, the process of 
actually naming our bucks on our property. And we only do that just as a way to kind of keep track of them, especially, you know, we have, you know, we're, we've got about 160, 150, 160 acres that we're hunting um, with, you know, two dozen trail cameras set up throughout. Some we're checking, you know, regularly when we're on the property. Others, we just kind of let soak all year or at least all season. And yeah, we've got probably, I'd say three to four um, nice three and a half or three, three and a half year old or better bucks um, that we're, that we're after. Um, no real encounters with, with some of the real big ones yet. Um, my brother-in-law who I hunted, who I hunt primarily with up there, he was up there, uh, Halloween weekend, um, and didn't have hardly any luck. He, he hunted some new spots that we had hung this summer and just didn't have the activity. I think it, for him, it may still have been a touch early. I just don't think the activity had picked up yet, but I'm certainly optimistic about next weekend. Yeah, man. Well, I, I hope you get in there and get a crack at one. Yeah, me too, because that freezer is getting real bare right about now. <laughs> Mine too, man. I I, uh, I was kicking myself after missing that deer the other day, not just because of the antlers, but like, I've got to get some meat, man. And so, I mean, that really got me thinking, like, do I just need to shoot a doe, like the next doe that I see, even though it's the rut. Like, I've just got to get something in the freezer at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm almost relying on hopefully taking a buck. I mean, you hate to, like, rely on something, but hopefully I can take or at least have a crack at a buck next weekend. And then once firearm season comes, I should be able to get at least a day or two in the woods and hopefully then take a dough or two really fill the freezer because yeah, this time of year, I mean, you're making roasts, you know, my wife makes this great venison chili where she's putting like venison steak and venison burger in it. So that's like depleting, you know, what little bit we have left at this point. So yeah, she's like, uh, we're getting pretty low and my wife isn't a hunter, but you know, she likes venison. So when, when I start to feel the pressure from her on, on filling the freezer, like, I know I got to do something. That's right. That's right. So Josh, before I let you get out of here and get into the woods, man, cause I know you're probably chomping at the bit. Where can people, um, find your podcast and follow along with those at? Yeah. So you can find me on the sportsman's empire podcast network, uh, Wisconsin sportsman and how to hunt deer podcasts. I also have two Instagram pages, one for each show at the Wisconsin sportsman and at how to hunt deer. Uh, where I'm kind of posting uh, primarily on the Wisconsin sportsman right now, because I'm here in Wisconsin and, um, you know, kind of posting stories, updating folks on what I'm doing, trying to give a little bit of my thought process, you know, and log that for people if they want to see, okay, here's how he's thinking through uh, dissecting this property, piecing things apart to make sure he can, he can get on the deer when facing some pretty uh, adverse conditions. Yeah. And I think that's what, uh, this time of year, like people like hearing that, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, that's what, that's the kind of stuff they want to hear. And for those listening, be sure to follow those along. Cause that's great content coming out of both those pages and the how to hunt deer one specifically is just, a this time of year, what, what Josh has been doing with, you know, kind of the, the deer camp vibe with the how to hunt deer podcast is, is awesome. And hopefully, uh, one of these weeks here, I'll be able to, uh, make a cameo and get out. I just, I felt like I haven't had anything to really contribute. So that's why I've been holding off on, on jumping on with you guys. Hey man, some, some folks are just on there contributing the jokes. So, you know, bring a jet, bring a dad joke or two and, and hop on. Oh, I got those by the plenty for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, well get out in the woods, man. Best of luck. And, uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you again in the future, buddy. All right, buddy. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Take care. All right. Well, big shout out to Josh again for, uh, taking a little bit of a break during his rutcation there and joining me to talk whitetails. Uh, <clears throat> be sure to like, 
rate, subscribe, follow all those good things uh, that come with uh, podcasting wherever you're listening to. Uh, I appreciate all the support. Uh, as I mentioned uh, every week, uh, it's certainly um, humbling and exciting to see uh, all the people that are reaching out and commenting about uh, you know the guests and the topics that we're talking about because uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's 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 very well appreciated. Thank you, everyone. Um, yeah, until next week, Michigan. Stay wild. <laughs>